Method and Madness is a true crime podcast and contains descriptions of violence. Listener discretion is advised. All witnesses, persons of interest, and or suspects are considered innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. I know we can't go back and get Heather back, but, you know, the officer that let him go should be held accountable and the driver should be held accountable. Those are the two people who could have stopped that that day. This is Method and Madness, Episode 65, Protect Heather Hansen. I'm your host, Dawn Gandhi. It's a question that comes up often when discussing corruption, injustice. But it's not a topic that is unique to the true crime sphere, nor is it unique to families of victims. In fact, it's ubiquitous. We see it, or the lack of it, in all aspects of our daily lives. Work, home. But it hits differently when it means more than the value of a human life. We're talking about accountability, and there's a lack of it in Ellis and Dallas counties in Texas. Why is self-preservation more important than accountability? How can we have trust in those that are supposed to protect us when ultimately at the end of the day, they show they're only there to watch their own backs? Carla Hansen's family always backed the police. They had no reason not to. All they knew before 2019 was that the people in blue were there when you needed them until they weren't. Today's case takes us to Ferris, Texas, to a Tuesday morning in 2019. A life ended that day, a family's world was forever changed, and a journey toward justice began. This is Heather's story. Let's dive in. I'm Carla Hansen. I'm the mother of Heather Hansen, and I'm just here trying to get some justice and, you know, make people aware of what's going on. My husband and I have been married for 34 years. We're in Palmer, Texas, and that's a little town, so a lot of people do not know where it's at. It's in Ellis County. We had a hard time having children. We did fertility pills, and we had a baby girl in 1993 stillborn at full-time birth, So we tried again, and fortunately, we had Heather and Lane. (laughs) I remember when we went in, um, the first time I went in, the doctor was like, oh, there's one baby, you know, to to replace the one you lost. Two weeks later, there was twins, (laughs) which was amazing. So when Heather was the second twin, because she was the one who had the low blood count and no hair when she came out. So we knew she was the second one. Her and her brother were the best of friends. You know, they're like built-in best friends. Carla and Lance Hansen had their family, their son Lane and their daughter Heather, both born on November 2nd, 1994. It was actually easy. You know, everybody's like, oh, that's had to be so hard, but that's all I knew. You know, they were, I ended up with just two children at once. I'm like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? You know, but it was easy. It was really easy. They were easy babies. They were, they got along. They were just actually perfect kids, not just because they were my kids, but they were very good. So, They got along great. 
So they, they had good childhood all the way up to adulthood. They did everything together. Carla describes them, her family that is, as a racing family. Dirt track racing is their thing. In 2018, they moved to Palmer, Texas, a small town of about 2,400 people. Their plan was to build houses on their property for both of their kids. When you have that close family, twins that are inseparable, it sounds like a beautiful way to maintain that closeness and to be nearest to your best friend. And that's just how Carla describes her daughter. She was actually my, my tough little twin, even though she was a girl. She was the daring one. Uh, she was a tough one, <laughs> fearless. She, she wanted to grow up and work with kids. And I had a home daycare, and she helped me with it for a long time as a teenager. And then after high school, we put her through medical assistant school. She passed it. She got on a pediatrician's office, I think in 2016, probably 2016. So her job, you know, before she passed was working at a pediatrician's office, which was her calling. And she loved kids more than anything. They loved her too. I mean, she was, she had the biggest heart. She would do anything for anybody, any age. You know, she's that kind that she had $5, she'd spend four ninety nine on you. <laughs> and that's just how she was, you know, she, she would do for everybody else, but not herself. But she had a, a big, big heart, for sure. And now she was like my my one of my best female friends and my daughter. You know, she, we were both. We were we knew everything about each other from head to toe. <laughs> but Carla wouldn't be here today sharing her story if that plan had come to its beautiful fruition. Carla is here because she is fighting for justice. Oftentimes, what grips us and draws us to these stories is that they can begin as just any typical day, doing any old, ordinary activity, whether it's going for a morning stroll around your neighborhood with your husband or if you're headed out to work in the morning. It reminds us of our own mortality, of how one mistake made by one person can be catastrophic and alter our own lives and our lives. 24-year-old Heather Hansen had a job that she adored. She had goals. She had her whole life ahead of her, but that was cut short in 2019. So on January 29th, 2019, I was washing my hair and I heard the doorbell ring. So I was hurrying up and getting my hair in a towel, ran to the front door, and I looked out the front glass because by the time I got to the door, nobody was there. And I seen a police car facing my house, which immediately, you know, my heart sank knowing something happened to Heather because my son had, you know, he was still home. He hadn't left for work that day. Not yet. Then they lived with us because when we moved out here, we bought this house, like I said, to build their home. So they still lived at home at the time. But uh, my husband, I told my husband, I said, there, there's a cop car in front of the house. Something's wrong. So he went to the side door and I don't know what if I just froze or I didn't want to go to that door. You know, I didn't want to hear, but I could hear <clears throat> something about the guy said it's it's bad. She's been in an accident and she, she's been care flighted. So my husband said, you know, they left. And my husband said, she's been in a car accident. We need to go. So I'm screaming through my house, you know, telling my son to get up. We got to go. We got to go. Which I still feel horrible to this day because that's how he w was woken up by me screaming, you know, to get, to get up. We got in the truck, and of course, we have to go by the crash site because that's the only way to the hospital. So we pull over, and knowing she had already been careful, you know, careful-eyed, she'd been airlifted. My husband and son jumped out of the truck to go to her car just to look at it because 
When we pulled up, something was just not right. It was a chaotic scene there on I-45 northbound near exit 266 in Ferris, Texas. And chaos wasn't unique to the stretch of road that was known by some locals as Death Highway. Heather's black Dodge Charger was in the grass on the median. The front end smashed in. And it was at such an angle that it was facing the other side of the median's traffic. Debris littered the roadway, pieces of Heather's car, as well as a large steel toolbox with its contents strewn about. A red pickup truck was also at the scene, further down the highway in the grassy median. It was muddy and, due to the tired tracks, looked like the truck had driven a significant length in the median before coming to a stop. Its rear bumper was smashed in on the passenger side, indicating that it had been hit from behind. I got out of the truck from a distance. Once again, I froze. (laughs) Couldn't move. But something told me to take a picture because Heather's car was in the median, like it took a hard left, and there was this huge steel toolbox, like a fuel tank, sitting beside her car. But you could see stuff, like the door of it was open, so stuff was falling out of it, like fire extinguishers and stuff. And you could see a string of that down the highway. So I took a picture thinking that's something I don't, you know, couldn't figure this out because there was a a truck like way down the median away from her car with the right rear of it, you know, had been where it had been hit, I guess. So I took a picture of the car on the way to the hospital or on the scene. The cops wouldn't let my son or husband near Heather's car. So they told us where they care flatted her. As we were getting back of the truck, the chief of police ran up to me and handed me a card and said, call me if you need me. I was like, okay. Well, then on our way to the hospital, I kept looking at this picture because there was somebody bent over, like picking up something on the ground or touching something. And I thought that was weird because they didn't let my husband or son, you know, by the car. Well, my son said, mama, there was some guy that kept saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It wouldn't become clear until later that the man that kept apologizing to Heather's twin brother, Lane, was the other subject in the two-car crash. More on him later. We got there, and I ran into the emergency area, and I asked for Heather, and they immediately told us to go to the consultation room. So then I knew, you know, something that she probably didn't make it. And then... In the room, the preacher came in. He said, did you talk to the doctor? And we're like, no. So he leaves the room, (laughs) sends the doctor in. The doctor said, you know, we're sorry she died. And then he told us that we didn't want to see her. And I kept thinking, well, you know, is it that bad? You know, we we seen the front of her. Her car was totaled. So, of course, all we can assume is it's the worst. So we didn't get to see her. We left the hospital. And I went home, and we all just come. It's kind of odd. We all just come home and sat at our dining room table, and like we're just waiting for something. You know, we're all just sitting there because we don't really know what to do. I guess we're all just like twiddling our thumbs. And I, I like I said, I don't know what we were waiting for. I guess we we're just trying to figure out, you know, what, what, we, where we go from here. Heather Hansen had died from blunt force injuries of the head and neck. The Hansen family was in shock and entering their first stage of grief, and Mom Carla was already getting those maternal vibes, asking questions to try and get clarity on what exactly transpired that morning 
and how her beloved daughter, with a huge heart, was now deceased. You know, I kept the things I was thinking of is where's her necklace? Where's her cup? Where's her phone? You know, where where's all her personal items? So my daughter-in-law called the police department and asked, you know, where's her phone? Did they find a necklace and her cup? And this cup is very, it's, this, the whole story of this cup is kind of odd. She had asked for a, you know what a Yeti cup is? Well, it, she asked for one with a sunflower and it says, hello, sunshine, because sunflowers are her thing. So I got it for her. Well, I knew she took that cup to work every day. Well, supposedly the cup was not found. Her phone was not found and her necklace was not found on the scene, which I thought was weird because that's something she has every day, you know, every day. So now let me tell you this. The the chief of police came into my home and said, we're going to find out what happened that day. Or, you know, we're going to find out what happened to Heather. And you'll find out the story later. He really knew. Well, a couple days later, we were told they did have the phone. Her necklace, whenever we went to the funeral home, the funeral director pulled out her necklace. Thank God, because <laughs> I looked for that necklace. You know, I was looking for it. I was I was to the point where I wanted to go to the scene and look for all this stuff, thinking, I know all this stuff. She had all this stuff every day. But to me, it was kind of weird how they kind of held the phone information, like they didn't have her phone or the necklace. or And the necklace possibly could have been under neck brace or something that they didn't notice. So I, I get that. But then the cup, you know, why were they hiding her cup? Why were they hiding the fact that they did have her phone and cup? After the autopsy was conducted, it showed that Heather had no alcohol or illegal substances in her system. Not that her family was surprised. So with that news, Carla asked to have Heather's cup back, as it held sentimental value to her. But her request was denied repeatedly, something that puzzles Carla to this day. Why were the police so adamant that this cup be held on to? Another issue was Heather's cell phone, an iPhone with a sunflower case, Heather's favorite flower. Obviously, in trying to analyze all the data available in order to conclude how the crash occurred, investigators were going to have to hold on to the phone for a while. I knew they had to keep their phone. They kept her phone. They didn't give me personal pictures of her off of it because I kept telling them if something happens to that phone, you know, I was going to be upset because her life is on that phone. You know, all the selfies. She's a big selfie person. Thank God. <laughs> I mean, although I have thousands of pictures, but, you know, just the selfie ones are just the fun ones because there's, you know, the silly ones, filters and all that. It was fun to get all that and I needed all that. I once went to the funeral home and I got that necklace. I knew, you know, something wasn't right about other stuff that they said weren't on that scene. Carla wondered about Heather's phone. Police told her it was found on the dashboard of her car after the crash, that it had hit the windshield and landed there. But it was still fully functional when Carla got it back. And she questions to this day, If the police planted it on the windshield in order to create a narrative that Heather had been on her phone when the crash occurred. She had logged into a music app on her phone around the time she would have been pulling out of her driveway. And Carla says the police would use the music app against Heather, stating that because the app was active, she had to be using the app while driving. The cup was also a mystery. If there was no alcohol in Heather's system, why were the police so adamant about not returning the cup? These things were nagging at Carla, and little bits of clarity would start trickling in. By the end of 2019, 
she got a knock at her door. Later on that year, one of the investigators finally came to us to tell us the truth because he said he couldn't live with himself. He's like, you know, this guy should have been pulled off the road. He said, if he would have been pulled off the road, Heather would still be here today. He said, you know, I can't go to my grave knowing that your daughter's dead because of these people. He was leaving the police department and he got all, well, most evidence to us because we had asked for body cam videos since day one. And they kept saying, oh, body cam, body cams were not used that day. No dash cams. I thought that's kind of odd because I thought this was something they had to use, you know. Well, on this evidence that this investigator gave me, there's a picture of the chief who ran up to me on the scene that gave me his card. And there's a picture of him on the scene with the body cam on. So I knew right then somebody's lying to me. You know, they're lying. They they did not want to release these videos because we kept saying something is not right. We want to know what happened. We need to know what happened. As her parents, we should be able to find out what's going on. So an investigator who was on his way out had to clear his conscience, telling the Hansons that this crash was avoidable. If three hours prior to the crash, the driver of the pickup truck had been removed from behind the wheel. More on that in a bit. Carla didn't know if the investigator was being truthful when he said there was no body cam footage available from that day, although she appreciated his transparency about events that occurred before the crash. But she couldn't stop wondering if there was something being hidden. Carla went to the city manager and asked about the body cam, and he too said there were none used on the day of the crash. Now, Carla had a photo from that morning. Remember, she'd stopped on the highway and taken pictures of the scene. In that photo, the chief, Chief Salazar, who had approached the Hanson family, is seen with a body cam attached to him. But Carla is still being told the cameras had not been used by both the city manager and the Ferris Police Department. A lawyer representing the Hansons demanded that the body cam videos be turned over to the family. It went back and forth, with a representative from the police department saying that there was no footage since no body cameras were used. With all this back and forth and conflicting statements, Carla was beginning to smell a cover-up. Finally, in January of 2020, her family filed a lawsuit against the city asking for the body cam footage. What was on those cameras? And what was the police hiding? Let's take a break. By the time the Hansons had filed a lawsuit for the body cam footage from the day in question, they were suspicious that there was a cover-up going on. But why? Carla was repeatedly told that she'd received everything, all possible evidence, and there was nothing more. But questions remained about how Heather ended up rear-ending the other vehicle that morning, and why. Here is what was revealed through body cam footage and from Carla's tireless efforts to get to the truth about her daughter's death. The crash report from the day in question, January 29, 2019, details the events that occurred in Ellis County, Texas. A 2008 Ford F-250 with an invalid VIN and invalid Mexico plates was struck from behind by a Dodge Charger. Here is a portion of the audio from Chief Salazar's body cam. 
They got her in uh, an ambulance already? She's already, yeah, she's already in there. Alright, they said they're bringing a bird in, so I'm assuming we can just pop it right here. Okay. I talked to the driver of that truck, the black guy right here. Yeah. I'm getting a faint smell of alcohol on him, so I told him he might want to go talk to him and see what he thinks. Alright. That's a hard impact to be a move, unless she was just hauling ass. What do you have so far? Do you know who was in what lane or what happened? I haven't gotten to that point yet. Okay. I talked to him. He said he was in the fast lane. Uh-huh. He was driving right here. He just felt a sudden impact in the rear of his yeah, vehicle. Yeah, you he can. pushed him over here. She must have been hauling ass. Yeah. White truck is a witness. That's not his dog. Okay. How you doing, sir? How you doing, sir? All right, got your driver's license. What happened to your hand there? It was on that here? window. It was on. It was on that clip on my visor. Okay. okay. Everything that was on that visor is gone. All right. I don't know where it is. Okay. And I believe I don't. I want to say it's back there with my toolbox and my and my fuel tank, but I'm not sure. This is. I got a speeding ticket earlier today. I got a speeding ticket in Paris today. Today? Yeah. Yes, sir. So there's his DL number and stuff. I already already given it to Christina. She give it to your dispatch. Okay. okay. So we got this DL and the witness DL so far at okay. dispatch. Okay. okay. Have you had anything to drink? No, sir. Okay. I don't drink. name that's getting me really. So. You, know, you want to tell us what happened? I was just I was driving right here. I in was the in this lane. lane. I was in this lane right okay. here. Okay. And uh. You know, I wasn't really just paying attention to the back of me. I was watching out for the big trucks on the side of me. And I mean, it was just an impact that came from the back. And I grabbed a steering wheel. The crash had occurred around 7.30 a.m. Heather was in an ambulance by the time that Chief Salazar arrived on the scene, and he and the other officers present are trying to make sense of the aftermath. It's pointed out that the driver of the other vehicle smells of alcohol. As you heard in that body cam audio, the driver of the pickup truck is there on the scene. That is 36-year-old Tyrone Carr. You also heard him tell the officers that he can't find his driver's license. It was on his visor, but it's not there now. He further indicates that he had just gotten a ticket hours earlier. That's right. Before Tyrone Carr was involved in the crash with Heather, he had been pulled over near this same stretch of road by Officer Hernandez of the Ferris Police Department. Tyrone was going 92 miles per hour in the 70-per-mile zone. Here is audio from that earlier traffic stop. Do you have a driver's license or you just don't have it on you? Honestly, sir, I don't have it. Okay. Well, I appreciate you being honest with me. Um, what's going on with your license? You, you have you had ones that suspended, expired, or what's up? You haven't tried to get it. How old are you? Thirty-six. Thirty-six. <laughs> That's how old I am. Okay. Is this your truck? Okay, it's coming. I was just wondering why I came out with it. It's got a Mexico registration on it. Sir, can I be completely honest with you? Yeah. I'd appreciate it. Um, I'm on parole. Okay. And um, I'm just trying to do it for my kids. And I feel you. My 
boss man wanted me to go pick up something from Dallas, some okay. batteries from Dallas, and uh, I'm just trying to do everything I can for my kids. Okay. I'll I tell you what, man, I can work with you, okay? Yes, uh, I am going to issue a citation for the speed, okay? But I'll work with you on the DL and stuff, okay? Because I'm not going to sit here and, and ascent, for lack of better terms, be an asshole and start stacking all these tickets on you, man. You're trying to do right for your kids. I respect that, you know, and I appreciate you being honest with me. In the body cam footage, Tyrone tells Officer Hernandez that he doesn't have a valid driver's license, but is driving a company truck on his way from Houston to Dallas. He tells the officer that he's currently on parole and trying to do right by his kids. Officer Hernandez asks Tyrone to open the car door so that he can scan the VIN, and ultimately he tells the driver he's only going to issue a ticket for the speeding and that he'll work with him on the driver's license and stuff. He shows sympathy for Tyrone and the fact that he's trying to work hard to provide for his family. Officer Hernandez also says that he's not going to be one of those cops that tows your vehicle and takes you to jail, as you don't need that right now. When asked if he has any warrants, Tyrone responds that he thinks he has some in Harris County, but that he was in jail from 2015 to 2018 and thinks somebody was getting tickets in his name. He further explains that he was in prison for felon evading in a motor vehicle. After Officer Hernandez finishes up the traffic stop and issues the citation for speeding, he tells Tyrone this. All right, Mr. Carr. Like I said, bub, uh, I'm going to work with you, okay? All I'm going to do is issue the citation for speed, like I explained. I can see you're trying to do something, okay? I know you got... You know, down and out, you're trying to get back up on top, and the last thing you need is more, you know, DWLI, you know, driving my license and valid tickets. All that's going to do is just keep suspending it, suspending it, suspending it, right? Um, so this is your copy of the citation. Again, it's just for the speed, the 92 and the 70. I highlighted the court phone number. Just give them a call as soon as you can, okay? Uh, you got 10 business days to give them a call. Let them know how you want to take care of your citation, okay? Um, so here's this back for you, man. Good luck to you. And hopefully, you know, you can get everything squared away, all right? Yeah, brother, I got you, man. Don't worry about it. Like I said, you know, no DL someplace. I'm glad you didn't get pulled over in Palmer, man. They would have took your truck. Then you would have had to call the boss, man, and said, hey, yeah. <laughs> they took your truck. Yeah. You know what I mean? So those guys are told 100% of the time they don't, they don't know, no Fs given. You know what I mean? Yes, so, all right, boss, so you be careful, okay? Be careful on the road, all right? Yes, sir. The officer tells Tyrone that he's glad he didn't get pulled over in Palmer because they would have taken his truck and called his boss. Tyrone Carr is then free to go on his way. Three hours later, not far from where the traffic stop occurred, Heather Hansen and Tyrone Carr would cross paths with fatal results. Here is more audio from the body cam footage captured as the crash scene was getting cleaned up. Okay. So, see, you, you were moving about 60 miles per hour in the on the inside lane, oh, and she came up and it hit you. I was hit, yes, sir. Okay, you were hit. All right, there is, I, I don't know when my toolbox came out. I just know when, it hit, when the impact hit, I grabbed my steering wheel and my seat dropped back. Okay. And I mean, only thing I can do is steering out of traffic. So, I don't know exactly, like, well, that guy, that guy got a ticket earlier today here in Ferris. Oh, wow. So, um, 
Yeah, he's identified. He doesn't appear to be under the influence. You smell some alcohol on him? I did, but you know. Might have been from last night. I mean, uh. We can ask him. Well, I asked him on camera. He said, no, he hadn't been drinking. And so, uh, anyway, that's what we have so far. Uh, so we're going to work it. In that footage, an officer speculates, or is informed in a way that's unclear, that Tyrone Carr was driving 60 miles an hour when he was struck from behind. When the officer asks about the toolbox, Tyrone doesn't seem to know why it's on the roadway, on its side, its contents strewn about. When asked why his car had invalid Mexico plates, Tyrone answers that it's his boss's truck. But even the responding officers don't think the scene quite makes sense. And they didn't know it at the time, but correctly speculated that Heather wasn't going to make it. Here, officers discuss the possible causes of the crash and what probably should have happened three hours prior. I knew I just got a ticket there, so I slowed down. So he may have slowed down way, I don't know, way too much. Yeah. Hit the brakes. That's a lot of damage to that car. We're going to pull the black box on her. Yeah, we do. So. Hey, yeah, and, and yeah, she may have been hitting a buck 20. I mean, that's not uncommon. I hit a buck, I, I pulled over a buck 12 out here before. Uh, I just, something, something's not quite adding up. I don't know. It, you know, he, he's saying, oh, it, it's normal for him to go 60, but then he just got a ticket for going 90 in the 70. So, uh, I don't know. I'm going to give this back to him, Mr. Spencer. All right. Now his ID's missing. His ID's missing. Yeah, it's suspended, so I mean, he may as well be. I looked all through the truck. Yeah. I didn't see anything. Yeah, so I wasn't looking for an ID. Yeah, I know it. I know it. Well, we know with that ticket, he was ID'd at yeah, exactly. 4 30 yeah. this morning. Exactly. Yeah, so we knew he was clear of warrants and everything. Yeah. But he didn't get cited there. I'm surprised that Richard didn't cite him for the DWI. He said he's only cited for speed. So his, his DL suspended? He's only cited for the speed. And that now, now that that brings into mind another thing is if he had a DWLI earlier today and he didn't get towed. Kind of why we tow those cars. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's why they go to jail for yeah. suspension. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what the deal was. Right. That. I mean, you, I don't yeah, want to yeah. anybody on the bus. No, no. It's yeah. why you got to. Officers interviewed witnesses from the scene as well. One gentleman said that he'd been driving about 70 miles per hour or a little more, and that he wasn't gaining on Heather, who was driving ahead of him about 50 yards. He guessed that she was probably going about the same speed as him with the flow of traffic. Next thing he knew, he heard a loud crash and saw the truck veer off the road and Heather's car go off the road and come to that stop in the median. A woman later gave a statement that she too was driving northbound on the highway that morning. She was taking the exit and to her left in the fast lane, observed the pickup truck driving very slow with its flashers on. She said her thought was that they must have been having car trouble and they were traveling very slow, probably about 20 miles per hour. As this witness went to take the exit, that's when they heard the crash and looked to the left and saw the immediate aftermath of the accident. Another woman called into the Ferris Police Department and went to provide a witness statement. She said that right around the spot where the speed limit goes from 75 to 70, she saw a truck with its flashers on in the left lane. The truck was going between 20 and 25 miles an hour, and the witness thought they were trying to get off the road, or that maybe something had dropped off of the truck. She then realized the driver of the truck wasn't trying to get off the road. That's when she saw a black car coming up 
and slam right into the back of the truck. Officers had noted that Tyrone Carr smelled of alcohol, and so a field sobriety test was conducted. Once the officers on scene got word that Heather was pronounced dead at the hospital, Tyrone was then informed that there was a fatality. Because of that, he was going to be taken in for a blood test to test for alcohol levels. Now, in Texas, it is legal to drive with a blood alcohol content of .08 or less. Tyrone Carr's BAC was measured via a blood test by forensic scientist Brianne Simpson with the Texas DPS Waco Crime Lab two and a half hours after the crash, and his level was a .03. Now, this information, a blood test that is, provides a baseline. You can subtract approximately 0.015% for each hour that you don't have a drink. The blood test also showed that Tyrone had methamphetamine in his system. By the end of 2019, the prosecutor met with the Hansons and confirmed that this was a manslaughter case, as the driver that Heather hit had been going 18 miles per hour in a 70-mile-per-hour zone. Anything under 45 miles per hour was considered manslaughter. 18 miles an hour, not 60 miles an hour, Tyrone Carr had indicated to officers at the crash scene. At this time, we knew that he had been pulled over at 4.30 in the morning and released. Three hours later in the same vicinity is when the crash happened. So, you know, during those three hours, what was he doing? It was one exit from each other, from the, from the citation and the crash, three hours in Ferris, Texas. Well, after that meeting, that prosecutor disappeared. He went MIA. I have no idea where he went. Disappeared. February, they brought in a new prosecutor from a brand new county. So he was brand new to this county. And he didn't even know that this driver had a huge, long criminal history record, which consisted of no driver's license, He's had a suspended license and has had a suspended license since 2015, which we didn't know all this yet. <laughs> so when we got this new prosecutor, they put it in front of grand jury February 2020, immediately closed the case. The DA said that this driver could not and should not be held liable for Heather's death. You know, at that point, I was shocked thinking, how in the world can you even be saying this? Photos taken with Tyrone's cell phone that morning show that someone had taken a photo of Heather behind the wheel. You can see the shattered windshield, and through the driver's side door, which is open, there's a deployed airbag and Heather in the driver's seat, wearing her scrubs, with some of her hair peeking out from behind a witness who is standing on the roadway, offering aid. There was also a photo of Heather's car in the grass, the front end completely crushed, clearly totaled, and an officer and a witness looking at the camera from behind Heather's car. Tyrone later provided police with a statement on his version of events that occurred that day. He said that he'd been coming from home that morning and was headed to pick up batteries from a location in Dallas, as delegated by his employer. Here's some of the actual audio from Tyrone's statement where he talks about the crash. I was driving, I wasn't really looking at the speedometer, but I believe I was doing like 60, you know, maybe a little bit less, you know what I mean? 
uh, because I just got a speeding ticket and, you know, I, you know, I knew better than that before I got the speeding ticket. And, um, I guess I was focused on the road and I just felt the impact. When I felt the impact, um, it pushed my seat all the way back and I held on to the steering wheel, but I, I kind of veered over towards the, um, the railing, it's not a railing, it's like a string. I don't know what that was. Mm -hmm. to um, but I, I veered that way and got off the road out of traffic. And um, when I realized, you know, I'm at a full stop, I put my flashes on, I got out, and I went over there and helped. Well, mm -hmm. check on the other driver. Um, and, um, <clears throat> When I got over there, <clears throat> excuse me. When I got over there, there was two gentlemen standing over there, and I asked them, um, are one of y'all one of the ones that was in the car? And they was like, no. I'm like, well, who was in the car? And they said, well, they're still in there, but they were just standing there. Mm -hmm. And I'm looking in, and I don't really see nobody, but when I finally realized that it was somebody right there, I tried to open the door. I couldn't open the door, so I ran back to the truck and I got the hammer that was in the bed of my mm -hmm. truck. And I went over there to the driver's side window and I bust that window out and I tried mm -hmm. to say to her, hey, hey, I tried to, you know, mm -hmm. get her to respond, but she was non-responsive. Um, I opened the door, I reached in and opened the door from the inside. And um, the, one of the guys was like, don't shake her too much, you know. You don't know what's wrong with her. Don't, don't say it too much. Tyrone Carr tells the police that he was going 60 miles per hour, a claim that we know now is blatantly false. He said that he was driving in the far left lane to stay out of the way of the 18-wheelers that were in the other lanes, and that he didn't see who had hit him. He only felt the impact, and his car stopped running. He said he was then able to use the steering wheel to veer off the road into the median. When asked if he had any idea what may have caused the accident, he said he didn't. He was so focused on the road in front of him that he didn't know why he was hit. Through her research, Carla also learned that Tyrone had quite the criminal history, charges that went back as far as the year 2000 for aggravated robbery, in 2009 for unlawful possession of a firearm, 2014 for driving with an invalid license, and 2015 for evading arrest, the charge that he told Officer Hernandez was the reason he was on parole. But despite Tyrone's decisions to drive a car with an invalid driver's license and invalid registration and plates, with alcohol and methamphetamines in his system, the police and the DA were pointing their fingers elsewhere. We had a meeting with this prosecutor, and every time we'd say something, he'd throw it back on Heather. You know, he didn't have a license. He didn't even have a registration sticker. His truck wasn't even registered. Well, Heather's was expired. Okay, but Heather's car, it was a Texas car. This guy had Mexico plates, invalid Mexico plates. He had invalid insurance. And I said he was going 18 miles an hour. He said Heather was going 80. It's a 70, 75 mile, you know, mile per hour zone highway. And on this highway, if anybody knows I-45, it's death highway. And they call that for a reason because it 
so many people do die on the highway. And if you're not going 80, people are flying around you, you know, just about to cut you off because you're going slow to them. So she wasn't doing anything extremely horrible. And then, of course, he said, well, Heather was probably on her phone. I'm like, what makes you think that? And we said, you know, on that highway, there is like a slight hill crest and curbs. And there is. And he said, we went there and there isn't. No, there is. There I mean, there is. It's a hill crest and a curb. So if you were coming up that hill crest 80 and there's a car going 18 looking, it's going to be a little hard to see what, you know, you're not going to be able to really base where you're going. Her left foot was dislocated. She drove with both feet. Her brake pedal was bent. So she hit the brake. He kept trying to say she did not hit the brake. Her steering wheel was totally bent as if she was trying to, I know she's seen it coming. She had to see it coming. She hit the brake. So he was just trying to say, you know, she didn't hit a brake. She didn't do this. And I'm like, well, she did. She drove with both feet. I drive with both feet. I know it's not a good thing, but that's how we drive. But that's what tells me she hit the brake. Her brake pedal's bent and her left foot's dislocated. So just everything we kept saying, he would point back at Heather. You know, she did this. She did this. She did this. Well, she wasn't the one who had methamphetamine, alcohol, going 18 miles an hour, you know, no driver's license. Heather had her car set to cruise control, and the crash scene photos showed that there were skid marks where she hit the brakes before impact. After some time had passed, there was a new DA in office, and the Hansen family were hoping that the case could be reopened with the evidence from the videos. But to their dismay, the DA said the case was not being reopened. So we're like, can you... Why can't we reopen this with the videos? She tells me, oh, we have the videos. I'm like, you had the videos? Wait a minute, wait a minute. Because these videos didn't exist from 2019 to 2021. She said, well, we had the crash videos. We didn't have the citation video. And you, you don't think anything's wrong with any of that? You know, you don't see anything wrong. She said, well, I can't go back and fix it. I can just make sure it won't happen again. All right, what, make sure what won't happen again. Make sure Tyrone don't kill somebody again. And I'm like, but that's your, that's your job. <laughs> I mean, you're the DA. And so this investigator, he called me back when I said, I can't believe that if that you are that cold hearted or whatever. He said, well, that's the DA's decision, which tells me right there, the DAs are the one who are just, they are not reopening this. They're not going to fix it. They're not going to do anything with it period. And that's what she told me that day. We're, they're not going to do anything. So it was case closed, despite the evidence mounting. I asked Carla if anyone in law enforcement ever took accountability for what happened that day. She said, no, nobody has taken any accountability for what happened in the hours before the crash. No accountability for letting Tyrone Carr go with barely a slap on the wrist at 4.36 a.m., when he was driving over the limit with an invalid driver's license and invalid registration with Mexico plates. After being told for months and months, Carla received a small amount of the body cam videos. She's been informed that there are many more. She just has yet to see them. Carla also worked with an advocate for Mothers Against Drunk Driving. This advocate's name was Anna. 
Anna wanted to attend a meeting Carla was having with D.A. Patrick Wilson and get all the video evidence in front of a grand jury. When that meeting came around in August of 2020, Anna couldn't make it but sent another advocate, Tammy, in her place. Carla said that Tammy didn't say anything during the meeting until D.A. Wilson asked her her thoughts. It was then that, according to Carla, Tammy broke out in tears and said they had more on Heather than they did on Tyrone. This devastated Carla even more, that a mad representative was siding with the D.A. The information that was being held against Heather was as follows. She had an expired registration sticker and was driving 80 miles per hour in a 70-mile-per-hour zone. She was also on probation due to an earlier fraudulent credit card charge of $50. In that meeting with the D.A., you know, I said, he's on parole. He said, well, Heather's on probation. I said, okay, so she should have died that day? I mean, what does that matter? They have Nobody has any remorse. But the day we were in the meeting with that DA, the, the first one that we met with, he was screaming and hollering and hitting his hands on the desk, you know, and we're just saying we don't understand, but it's as if we were the bad guys. You know, he was just screaming and hollering. My husband finally just said, can you stop, stop yelling at us? Because... We're just trying to figure out why my daughter gets no justice. There's not, that makes no sense, except that they were just covering up for their people who let this happen. Carla Hansen says there was no reconstruction of the crash, and she's still to this day unsure of how the crash even occurred. Why was Tyrone driving 18 miles an hour in a 70 mile per hour zone? Was it the effects of the drugs and alcohol? Was he stopping because his toolbox had fallen out of the bed of the truck? It is still unknown. Carla, a devoted mother who tears up several times during our conversation, was taking our call from Heather's room, and she showed me a blue silicone bracelet that she'd found the day before we talked. I'll show you something right now. It just devastates me. So I'm in Heather's room because I've been trying to clean her stuff out, and I just can't do it. So yesterday I was cleaning, I opened her drawer, and this, I don't know if you can see it, back to blue, is in her drawer. And you want to know where she got that? From that same chief that was on the crash scene. It just makes me sad because we're not protected. You know, I, I raised my kids to trust the police, and they didn't protect Heather that day. You know, it just, it just makes me sick. This chief was out there at stop signs, handing out stuff, you know, trying to be nice. And Heather was like, oh, that's so nice. But I look at that yesterday and I'm like, oh my God, oh my, that was from him. I know. And I want him to know that he gave that to my daughter and she, we've always backed the blue because that's what we're supposed to do. But after we lost Heather, we seen him at Walmart and he looked right at us and shot the other way. And then I seen the officer that released that guy at an event we were at. You know, how devastating it is to, and I just freeze. I just can't, I can't speak. I can't move. I'm just like, <gasps> you know, that's the person that could have saved Heather, you know. And I keep thinking, God, if I could just speak, but what would I say? What, what can I say? As of this recording, there has been no justice for Heather Hansen, and her family has not stopped fighting. Here's today's call to action. If you want to help the Hansen family fight for justice, join the Facebook group, Justice for Heather Hansen. There's a link in the show notes. There will be an organized call to action soon, so please look out for that. 
Let's hold the right people accountable. It takes you and me to make change. Thank you to Carla for coming on and sharing your story. You're an inspiring advocate and a wonderful mother. And thank you for listening to this episode of Method and Madness. If you haven't already, please leave a rating or review, and don't forget to hit that subscribe button. To connect, I'm on Twitter at MethodPod and on Instagram at Method and Madness Pod. To chat, suggest a case, or discuss the episode, reach out to me at methodandmadnesspod at gmail.com. Method and Madness is researched, written, and hosted by me. Sound editing is by Mo and Spo. That's it for this week. Until next time, take care of yourself. For crisis support, text HELLO to 741-741. Thank you.